right, cool. We're recording. Fantastic. Father, you want to start with the prayer? I do want to start with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you continue to guide us deeper and deeper into your love. Please give us the grace of perseverance to continue to strive in each of our lives to know your will, to strive to do your will, and to strive to love you with our whole hearts and our neighbors as ourselves. And we ask this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother, the Queen of Heaven and Earth, as we pray, Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome everyone to Sacred Heart Catholic Church. As always, my name is Michael Becker, and I am joined by our pastor, Father John Eckert. As you may notice, we have a slightly different studio again. We've had quite a few studios now in the past yeah. couple months. Father's office, the conference room, and we had wonderful seminarian Luke Martin last month. That was great. And now we are in the sacristy here at Sacred Heart in the backside of the church. This is where uh, the deacon and I get ready for Mass every day. And uh, so, nice place to be. Or occasionally, I might have uh, you know, like a spiritual direction meeting or something like that back here as well. Uh, it's a great place. We really do have a, a wonderful campus. It's, it's such a good one. The only other place I was thinking of, like, where else could we go now? As we've gone conference room, my office, now the sacristy, possibly outside at one of the pavilions. I think that would be kind of cool because, you know, like I said, we have an incredible campus here. And uh, thanks to the generosity of so many over the last many, many years to, to have all this. And we're getting closer to paying down our debt after an incredible uh, anonymous donation of half a million dollars, uh, which is like 20% of the remaining debt. And uh, so, hey, let's keep this momentum going, folks. It's really exciting stuff. Yes, indeed. And it's also a slightly different day today. So we're actually pre-recording this on Monday instead of our normal Thursday. And, you know, normally you would think it's because, like, my crazy schedule. You're normally here in the office every day, but this time it's not because of me. Why is that, Michael? So my wife is due with our third child September 9th. However, everyone thinks that she's going to go early. I would not be surprised if she has the baby this week. So I don't know if I'm going to make it till Thursday. So instead of you having to listen to Father all by himself for a full hour, which we already do almost every single Mass. And I don't want to listen to me for a whole hour by myself. Like, that wouldn't have been fun. No. And to be fair, too, like... This is a really exciting 50 paragraphs. I feel like we've started saying that every time. But every time, like, oh, I'm so glad we're doing this. Every 50 this. paragraphs They're are exciting so 50 paragraphs. They're so good. And I'm glad that we get to discuss this. But uh, please keep Michael and Kara and Andrew and Juliana and their new baby brother in, in your prayers as uh, he prepares to be born. Man, By the exciting. time we publish this on Thursday, he might be here already. So It'll be fun, and if that happens, maybe I can record like a little thing and be like, hey, guess what? Like, a little introduction? A little introduction. But the problem is, if you're not here, my technological skills are not great. But maybe I'll do like my own little thing for my cell phone. That'd yeah. Fun. Father, put your cell phone sideways, not vertical. <laughs> not vertical. That's the only thing to remember. That's good to know. All good you know. budding photographers out there, don't record with your phone vertically. Sideways is much better. Sideways is the way to go. But, going off of that, we are starting at paragraph 300 today, which was kind of an odd cutoff from last time. Mm -hmm. um, so, as a quick summary, kind of as we do every month, we're going through the parts of the creed, right? We are in just that really first section, I believe in God, 
the Father, the Almighty Creator is where we're at right here. We're talking about his creatorship, if you will. We talked about how he created out of nothing last week. We talked about the creative work of the Trinity. We're talk we talked about why he created. He created out of love so that we can give glory to him. That was all the different things we talked about last time as we dove into this creatorship. Now we're going to pick up with finishing off that section on the creator, and then we're going to get into creator of heaven and earth. So that is, that's kind of like splits it in half of our conversation today. So, but starting at paragraph 300. So first, right off the bat, um, I underlined the first sentence within Which makes paragraph sense. 300. Yeah. God is infinitely greater than all of his works. So right off the bat, we need to continue to remember who God is in relationship to his creation. He is infinitely greater than all, and I like to think all combined, yeah. of his works. It's, it still means the same thing. And that he himself is not all of his works. So this isn't pantheism. Like God isn't everything. Like God is, is separate from all his works. He's greater than all his works. He's above all his works. But the great thing is, as you move on to that next heading, you know, God upholds and sustains creation. So even though he's greater than all his works, he's above all his works, he's the higher than my highest and, my more, and more inward than my inmost self, as St. Augustine said at the end of uh, paragraph 300. Yeah, and that, that's the beautiful thing. I guess that, that holds it together so well. God is higher than my highest and more inward than my innermost self. So even though he's greater than all of his creation, he doesn't abandon it. He is with us. He is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And it's like that, that intimate caring and yet that greatness. And to hold those two together, I mean, it's just such a, an incredible mystery when you think about it. And he doesn't start, a, start it off and forget us. It's no. not a creation forget because no. the next part, God upholds and sustains creation. He not only gives them being in existence, but also and at every moment upholds and sustains them in being, enables them to act and brings them to their final end. Now, the thing that I wrote on the side, which we're going to talk about here in a moment, is that that line, for some reason for me when I was reading it, makes the problem of evil that much harder in some ways even to swallow. That God doesn't just start us and say, good luck everyone, have fun. He's there, he's with us, he's maintaining us in existence, sustaining us, enabling everything that we do to happen in the final end to come, and there's still evil in the world, mm -hmm. which I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but we'll get there in like three paragraphs. And I will say too, I mean, what you've kind of described here a couple of times, you know, where it's like God creates and then lets us be, that's called deism. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's like the divine watchmaker, right? That he like creates it, puts it down, and then just lets it run on its own. That's not what we have going on here. I mean, God is loving us into existence at this very moment um, that, you know, he's so utterly close to us. And as Michael pointed to, it's like, well, wait a second, then why is there this evil? You know, this uh, past Sunday was our last reflection on the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. We had, I think it was Psalm 84, um, with the verse, you know, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. But where it talks about, you know, like, you know, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And all that, that meditation is like, well, wait a second. <laughs> like, well, so God is close to us, but then why are we even brokenhearted? Like, why does that even come about? Like, why is there poverty? Why is there brokenheartedness? Well, we're going to get into something here called divine providence. And the fact that, okay, skipping ahead to paragraph 302. Creation has its own goodness and proper perfection, but it did not spring forth complete 
from the hands of the Creator. The universe was created in a state of journeying, and as it says in Latin here, in statuo vie, toward an ultimate perfection yet to be attained, to which God has destined it. We call divine providence the dispositions by which God guides his creation toward this perfection. So we're being led by God's good providence, that it's not all finished, that we are in the state of journeying. And I'll tell you, so as we record this, just a little reflection on that state of journeying. Today is the feast of St. Rose of Lima, who is the first saint of the new world. So, you know, Lima, Peru, she's the first one, you know, from, from the Americas. Uh, and where I went to seminary, the Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio, they named the great big chapel St. Tribius, who was the first male saint of the new world. He was the bishop of Lima, Peru. And the sister's chapel is called St. Rose of Lima. And I can remember every year at this time, so, you know, August 23rd, this is the time you go back to school, going into the sister's chapel. Um, there weren't any sisters up there anymore, and quite frankly, it was one of the few places that was air-conditioned when I was there. <laughs> and, but I would go in there to pray because it was always so hard for me to leave the parish, to leave the diocese, and go back to school. Now, granted, I liked my time in seminary, but it was just like, ugh. But... It's funny, like, looking back on that, like, I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't had the time in seminary to journey through that, to grow. Um, and it's not like, I can't think of a way that it could have happened just like a, okay, you're a priest now. I mean, even in the time I've been at Sacred Heart, from 2014 to the present, like, the, the journey, the growing, like, the experiencing through things, um, you know, that we grow in the love and the knowledge of God and see Him acting in divine providence in a way that if it was just done for me, I mean, I wouldn't have grown in the appropriate way. But I just always think about it in the Feast of St. Rose of Lima. Like, I, I just kind of kind of like pat myself on the back, you know, like 15 years ago and be like, it's okay, buddy, you can make it, you know. <laughs> um, because, like, you know, you just, you have to go through these things and it, it makes you better in the end as long as you stay faithful and trust in the providence of God. I'm feeling that very much today. I'm, I'm in bet. grad school right now and today is my first day of online grad school. My last year starting today. Wow. Um, oh, also, fun little anecdote, I got a wonderful picture from our good friend Deacon Darren Bulky. He's standing in front of seminary holding a sign that says, my first day of 22nd grade. Isn't that awesome? Um, did he send that to you as well? He did. I texted him this morning. I said, happy last first day of school. And then it's like, man, time sure flies fast. You're already at 22nd grade. 22nd grade. How cute. <laughs> I did my math. I think I only, I'm at 19th grade. 19th He's got three years on me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a good little, good little pat on the back to myself, too, as I yeah. head into this last year of grad school. It's important. And just like, you know, okay, like we're filming this literally days, hours, we don't know, before your third child is born. You know, and, and it's, it's an exciting thing. But it's like, you know, before you know it, like he'll be driving a car, you know. But like you go through these stages and God leads us through it in the same way that, you know, our kids just started back to school here at Sacred Heart last week. You know, the eighth grade teacher can't be like, you know what, enough with this school year. Eighth graders, here's your diplomas. Just get out of here. No, it, it doesn't, like, we go through things. We're in this state of journeying, and yet God doesn't abandon us that he, he leads us all the way through. Yeah, and so it's this, it's this uh, kind of pro and con of this journeying, but then we're also playing out this divine providence. And we see this divine providence in this journeying as well, all through Scripture, he didn't just say, all right, Adam and Eve, you yeah. sinned, but you know what? Here you go. Here's Jesus Christ. He's going to die on the cross for you and done. All right, we can move on now. No, we had several thousand years of history as this timeline journeyed through, 
And as God has this overarching plan of salvation leading from Adam and Eve up to Christ, and then we're still living this divine providence in this journey as well. Look at all, even our own lives, right? Journeying from birth in our new life in baptism to one day death, death in new creation with the resurrection of the body. So we have this continual journey that we're participating in. Um, and, but we do get to participate in this, right? And we're jumping over to 306. God is the sovereign master of his plan, but to carry it out, he also makes use of his creature's cooperation. This use is not a sign of weakness, but rather a token of almighty God's greatness and goodness. For God grants his creatures not only their existence, but also the dignity of acting on their own, of being causes and principles for each other, and thus of cooperating in the accomplishment of his plan. So we are fulfilling this plan. We are creating this plan. We have a hand in this, this divine providence as well. You know, I like to think about there, it's like, you know, if you've ever had to work on something and there's a lot of people around you, yes. Is it easier to be like, I'm just going to do this myself? Yes, a lot of times it is. But, you know, like, let's say, you know, I'm going to, you know, work on some project for my sister that I could just do myself. But it's so much, you know, to have my niece and my nephews, like, involved with us, you know, it's like this cooperation, this getting them involved. Like, it's, there's a richness to that. And the fact that God allows for that is so incredible. And I'll just say to 305, just backtracking just slightly. I'm just going to read the first line. But the Jesus asked for childlike abandonment to the providence of our Heavenly Father who takes care of his children's smallest needs. I mean, childlike abandonment. Just that trust in our Lord. He wants us to be like little children. And there are times when Jesus exalts and rejoices in sacred scripture because God has chosen to reveal these things to the childlike you know, but not to the wise and to the learned. Um, I read something today, too, even about St. Rose of Lima, and it was uh, by Father Aidan Nichols, and he said something along the lines of, we don't get to heaven by simply, uh, by simply intellectualism and, you know, in moderate, and all things in moderation. I thought that was really good, because yes, all things in moderation. I talk about that all the time. Like, I love God so much. I love the gift that he has given us in beer. And I thank him for that gift by not drinking too much of it, you know? But at the same time, it's like just simply living a life of just moderation. Like, okay, that's, that's not what it's about. It's, you know, it's like lovingly as a child of God, like, you know, running into his arms, that childlike abandonment to his providence, trusting in him, knowing that he wants us to be utterly fulfilled. And so, you know, trusting in that and growing in that relationship every day is just... It's incredible. It's so good. Yeah, childlike abandonment, and as Father's analogy said, childlike participation. So we're yeah. a child on both ends of this. And actually, that hit home a lot with my own kids because both of them are kind of getting into the stage where, you know, I help, I help, I want to do it myself. And I just look at, you know, my daughter struggling to get her shirt on this morning and just like, it's inside out, her head's through the armhole, like, it's just a mess. And then she starts yelling and screaming that she couldn't get it right. And I'm like, well, I told you I'd help you, but you wanted to do it. I just put myself into that situation and went, oh, boy, I have my head through the armhole of my shirt. And God's just sitting there going, oh, it's okay, sweetie. I'll help you figure this out. Um, and so, yeah, taking that analogy, that, that hit home for me. So that was good. I like that one. Fantastic. Um, so then 
human beings, so this is 307, to human beings, God even gives the power of freely sharing in his providence by entrusting them with the responsibility of subduing the earth and having dominion over it. This is a very important thing as part of Genesis, that as God creates everything, he allows man to name them, and there's a certain importance in us having dominion in creating this name, which we'll get to more in a little bit uh, next month's uh, series, most likely. But there's that subduing there, so we have this dominion. God gave us this authority over the created world, which is so beautiful. And there's something, too, about us becoming fellow workers, co-workers with our Lord. And I think sometimes... Some people consider, like, you know, our role to subdue the earth is almost like offensive. Like, oh, you know, you're putting man at the top of things. Well, the thing is, we're co-workers with God. We're his fellow workers. It's not like God is like, here's all the earth. Trash it if you want. No, that's ridiculous. It's like if someone gives you a gift, you thank them for it by using the gift appropriately, by, you know, cultivating the talent. I love that, you know, like I love using the example of giving now Father Joseph Waswa an electric guitar, right? Like what I want him to do with that is to learn how to play it, you know, the right way, at the right time, you know, and the appropriate, not, you know, not to go up and visit him now at Our Lady of Grace and see him out on the front lawn of the church playing golf with it. It's like, no, like that's not why I gave you an electric guitar. Which now I'm thinking back, I wouldn't have given an electric guitar anyway. I'd rather, like a violin would sound really Wouldn't it be <laughs> awesome if he was just jamming out on an electric guitar? Yes. That's a great picture. Isn't that head. a great picture? I, man, we should, we should come up with some like cover art for the show. J.J. Waswa playing the guitar. I would, anyway. Or playing um, golf with the guitar. Or, <laughs> that would even be better. But like, like subduing the earth is doing the right things with it. It's like, you know, I mean, this whole, yes, you know, I, I know sometimes like the whole like green movement, it's like you can run away with that and not think about people. But the thing is, it all goes together. We are called to respect the environment, to treat it well, because it's been given to us by God. But human dignity is very much a part of all of that. We thank him for the gift of creation by taking good care of it. I mean, it just makes sense. If you give your child a car and they go out there, you know, and drive 95 miles an hour in a 45, and they're like, you know, like hitting mailboxes with it or something, you're not going to be very pleased with them, right? You gave it to them for a reason, to use it well. God gave us creation. We need to subdue it and use it in the right way for his greater glory and the salvation of souls. We are co-workers, which is an awesome thing. And in 308, it even harps on that again, that we are the secondary causes of this divine providence. So even though he gave us dominion, he is working through us. So by us doing his will and using the creation that he gave us properly, we are also fulfilling his work. So he's, you know, God, as always, is kind of on the front end of the gift, but he's on the back end with the participation in using that gift well by helping us. Exactly. So we are participating in this divine providence. And then... Oh, man. One of the best paragraphs in the whole catechism, right? Providence in the scandal of evil. Father, go for it. Okay, paragraph 309. Get out your highlighters. I I went to town with the uh, mechanical pencil. Here it is. If God the Father Almighty, the creator of, of the ordered and good world, cares for all his creatures, why does evil exist? To this question, as pressing as it is unavoidable and as painful as it is mysterious, no quick answer will suffice. Only Christian faith as a whole constitutes the answer to this question. The goodness of creation, the drama of sin, and the patient love of God who comes to meet man by his covenants, the redemptive incarnation of his Son, his gift of the Spirit, his gathering of the church, the power of the sacraments, 
and his call to a blessed life to which free creatures are invited to consent in advance, but from which, by a terrible mystery, they can also turn away in advance. There is not a single aspect of the Christian, Christian message that is not in part an answer to the question of evil. I love that. Because one of the things is, I, I know like things can be simple that really convey a lot of truths. But at the same time, simplicity doesn't just mean like you can just wrap it up, put in a Hallmark card, and send it to somebody. You know, like To see that no quick answer will suffice. One of the things I absolutely love about being a Catholic is where it talks about you know, sort of the problem of evil. It's a question that is pressing and unavoidable. It's painful as it is mysterious. This book does not give you just like a quick, you know, sort of like, well, it'll all be fine. Like it's not, I mean, no, that's not the way it works. The answer to evil is like the whole Christian faith is necessary to answer that. And I guess I say that as someone who has to step in very often in some incredibly difficult situations. I mean, Michael gets to experience this a lot where it's like someone comes in and we've got a funeral to prepare for. Someone is dying. i got to get to an emergency call. You know, there is a huge crisis in a particular family. And I've got to, like, parachute into some of these things. And the only reason I can do that is because we've been given the answer to all this with the whole of the Christian faith, with the fact that God doesn't abandon his people. As you see as this continues, and it goes on through the covenants, the incarnation of Christ, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the church itself, the sacraments. You know, it's like this continuing on in this journey that we're not left alone in. And so there's no simplistic answer. You know, like, you know, why does my good friend have cancer? Well, it can't be like, because of this. Like, it's not that simple. But at the same time, it's like the answer we've been given, you know, is the whole of the Christian faith, and in particular, you break that down, what's at the heart of the word Christian? Christ himself. I mean, it's like God's answer to this is to be present with us. It's like, and by the sacraments, we get to cooperate in responding to that in our very vocations and striving to be Christ to others. And I think the next paragraph ties in very nicely to that. And they, it brings back in the state of journeying, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what are we journeying to? What is the ultimate end? We are ultimately journeying towards perfection, perfection with Christ in heaven. How do you make something perfect? Well, there's going to be ups and downs as you improve on anything. As we were just talking about, you know, school and life and kids, there's a lot of mistakes that are made, right? We learn from our mistakes. We learn from our failures. God knows that. God basically set it up so that that's how it is to work, that we are on this state of journeying in, in this whole creation that he made. There's this journeying towards this perfection in the end of time, in the second coming. And some of that is really good, and we're improving, and we're growing. And some of that's not. And people sometimes take the wrong road as they're journeying towards this perfection. Or they're missing the end, or they're missing the ultimate goal. So if we look at this as a, a journeying, then we start to see that things do go south as things are in transition in moving forward. Um, and that extends to all our moral life, right? In 311, uh, they talk, it talks about man and moral evil and how there's physical evil and there's moral evil in the world and we're always, you know, just missing the mark on this journey. But, as it says at the end, he permits it, however, because he respects the freedom of his creatures and mysteriously knows how to derive good from it. So we have to remember that no matter what the evil is, 
that's part of the divine providence in some ways, that God is allowing this to happen, but he's going to use that piece that might seem absolutely horrendous and terrible, and it very well is absolutely horrendous and terrible, but God, through this mysterious way, is going to cause, most likely, or definitely, a greater good to come from that evil when it does occur. And one important sentence, I think, to highlight in 3.11 there, where it says that, thus has moral evil, incommensurably more harmful than physical evil, entered the world. Remember that moral evil. So that's sin. You know, like physical evil could be like, you know, something that's not simple, but it is evil, like a tsunami, right? I mean, that would be terrible in our horrible earthquake. Like Haiti had a really bad earthquake um, here recently. It's a terrible thing, but mortal sin is so much worse than an earthquake um, because it separates us from the love of God. And even though God can bring good out of evil, God does not cause that evil. You know, so, and that's a really important thing to remember. In fact, in the next paragraph 312, uh, the kind of ending sentence, even though like kind of talking about God being able to bring good out of evil, it says though, but for all that, evil never becomes a good. So it's, we can never, you know, like the, the ends justify the means. Well, that's not true. Like you can't do evil so that good may come about. Like ultimately in our lives, we must avoid mortal sin at all costs. Now, we're going to fall into venial sins all over, but we should never even really intentionally venially sin. Um, and definitely not intentionally mortally sin. I mean, you got to stay away from that like the plague. But if it's not an intentional mortal sin, isn't it not yeah, a mortal that's sin? That's a good point. Okay, yes. I'm sorry. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> but you see what I'm like, okay, or like in, in, you know, like in grave matter and all that. Sin is the worst thing there is. That's what we have to ultimately be afraid of is falling into that moral evil. And, and I know I've talked about this before, but one of my favorite books is a book called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. I know in the introduction to that, C.S. Lewis is basically saying he's responding to another author, and I forget which author he's talking about, um, and this author's speculations about the marriage of heaven and hell and how in the end it's just all the same. That is absolutely BS. Okay, like that, that is absolutely not the case. Like hell and heaven are not the same thing. Um, you know, evil is evil, but, you know, and, and God and good conquer evil, and God can bring good out of evil. Nevertheless, it's not like in the end it's going to be like, it didn't really matter anyway. And when you think about that, I mean, thank God for that, you know, because if, if it really all just doesn't really matter anyway, then why do we go through what we're going through in the journey? Why do we embrace our crosses? Why do we offer up our sacrifices? And once again, to point back to that very important paragraph 309, it's like when you think about this, like, then why does Christ have wounds at this very moment in heaven? You know, it's like he has taken on the evil of the world and he has resurrected, you know, and it does have an effect, but he has brought the supreme good out of that evil and rising from the dead and overcoming sin and death. And so the important thing is that we pray to never be parted from him and never enter into evil intentionally. So I think we need to do some bullet points here to make sure we got all these points because I think they're so important. Cool. So, one, there's not a single aspect of the Christian message that is not part of the answer to the question of evil. Very important to remember. The whole Christian faith and truth and tradition all goes into how to explain the problem of evil. It's not just a quick answer. Uh, two, the moral evil is so much more harmful and worse than physical evil, right? So avoiding sin is even more important than protecting the body, mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, 
Three, God is in no way directly or indirectly the cause of the moral evil. He does not cause this to happen, okay? He allows it, but he does not cause it to happen. Three, as I kind of just hinted at, he, or four, what number am I at? Wherever. He permits it, however, because of the aspects of freedom of his creatures, but mysteriously, he knows how to derive good from that. And then finally, evil never justifies or Evil never evil becomes never good. Becomes good. Excuse me. Evil never becomes good. So we need to remember those things. Those are going to tie in a lot as we continue to move forward, especially when we get to the later parts of the catechism when we talk about what makes an action moral or immoral. Um, and we talk about object, intent, and circumstance and all those fun moral theology questions. Mm -hmm. But this is a really good kind of synopsis of the deeper conversation as we get further into the catechism. And we'll just remember this for later on. If we have to refer back to sort of like the problem of evil, just remember a band that was out when I was in college, 311, and we'll just jump right back. I have so. no idea what that band is. <laughs> it just shows that our, our like slight you know, differentiation in age. It's, which what is, is it, which 10 is years? It's, about, exactly it's about 10 years, yeah, thereabouts. You just turned 30. I'm just about to turn 40. Yeah, so, so there a little, little bit off. Yeah, it's not bad. So uh, we're going to, unless there's something you want to touch on in the in brief, Jump to the next paragraph. I think uh, the only other thing I was going to say is, you know, recognizing like that moving towards perfection about when we see God face to face. I mean, you know, and kind of like hitting at the fact that there's no just simplistic answers in the same way to sort of like sum up what we're working towards. I mean, yes, it's, it sounds very simple, like when we see God face to face. But like to try to explain that, I mean, it's greater than our imaginations can comprehend. You know, it's, it's, it was in 1 Corinthians about, you know, no eye has seen, nor has the you know, heart begun to understand, you know, the depths and the heights and the glory of God. I mean, what we're working towards, towards that knowing and being known. I mean, those two things together. I mean, when you think about that, just being known, being understood, you know, so perfectly, so lovingly, and that we're growing in a relationship you know, in the same way that you, I'm sure you love your wife more today than you did, you know, on July the 11th of 2000 and, give me a second, 15? Yes, right? Because that's the day you were married. Mm -hmm. And I did the wedding. That's how I know the date. So, um, you know, think about that, but it's like your relationship grows. There are more children now. You know, there are things that you have been through that you had not yet been through and that you grow through this. I mean, that's the beauty of our faith is it's, you know, the same sort of complexities and richness are there. So I know it's like, oh, to see God face to face, well, that'll be lovely, but then what am I going to do? Well, that's a way of saying, like, just this total encapsulation of the rest for which we long, but it's a dynamic and exciting rest that will never end for all eternity. I mean, it's just, it's so great. I love our faith so yeah, and much. I'm, and I'm really feeling that change, too, as I get ready to have this third child. I bet. Because the dynamic of a husband and wife without any children, then you add in the child, and you're like, I don't think I could love another child as much as I love this child. Then you have a second child. And then it just becomes so natural, and you're like, I don't think I could love my family or this child or both of my children as much as I could the next one. And then you add the next one. And every time you add that another child in, you're like, this feels complete. This feels so right. But then... You know, in that divine providence, yeah. God asks you to have another one. And they're like, oh, this is amazing. This feels perfect. It can't get more. And then you add that next child in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling that so a lot. That's so awesome. And then someday there will be grandchildren. And it'll be the same thing. You know, it just, it's so great. And, and the thing is, too, it's like, I think sometimes, you know, it's like we go to the problem. It's like, well, what about this? And I think 
You know, it's sort of like from the Gospel this past Sunday, uh, end of the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, when Jesus turns to the apostles like, do you want to leave too? And Peter going, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You know, because the thing is, yes, there's the cross, there's the teachings that are hard, hard to accept. But ultimately, it's like, okay, yes, there's, there's difficulty and hardness, but it's to achieve the greatest of all. And nothing else compares. And so I know sometimes, like, oh, how can you have kids? It's so difficult. Or how can you be a priest? You give up so much. But what you get when you embrace the faith and, you know, and, and see these things unfolded in this journey and this response to the evil that's there is I think as we move on, and especially when we're hurting from an evil right now and that pain is very real, it's hard to see it. But as you continue to grow and trust and embrace our Lord and trust in his providence with that childlike love, he continues to just pour out so much upon you. And if you just pray for eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that is childlike, he'll provide. And he starts, I mean, he's doing it right now. It's not just something that's coming way off in the distance. So embrace the faith. My God, it's good. Keep trusting. Yes, indeed. All right, so we're jumping on into the next part of the creed, right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So right off the bat, 325, it makes a small distinction between Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed. Apostles' Creed says creator of heaven and earth, and Nicene makes it more, a little bit more explicit in that all that is seen and unseen. And, of course, that's been changed now in the Mass. It went from oh, seen yeah, and yeah. unseen to visible and invisible. And the way I heard that explained was like, here's my confessional soul. See, it's seen, now it's unseen. But like visible, like yes, it's visible, but then there's the invisible reality of like the pure spirits that are the angels. And we're going to talk about them more in a second. So it's the visible and invisible. That's one of those changes that they made. I'm really grateful that they did. It's kind of a more accurate translation. Honestly, I wouldn't even have remembered that because I'm like, oh yeah, catechism. It says it right here. <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's yeah, this, still growing and changing yes. and it got updated. It's great. We're in journey here. I, I need to get my pen out, cross it out, <laughs> and, and rewrite it. Um, and so we see, we're talking about Heaven and earth, right? The visible and invisible. So talking about the earthly creation, what God has created here, the physical reality, and then the spiritual realities, which then it dives right into angels, which is mm -hmm. awesome. And I love talking about angels. Um, so 328. Oh, real quick. Oh, sorry. That's no, okay. 327 talks about, you know, so you have, you know, the, uh, I'll just read real quick. The profession of faith of the Fourth Lateran Council affirms that God, from the beginning of time, made at once, out of nothing, both orders of creatures, the spiritual and the corporeal, that is, the angelic and the earthly, and then the human creature, who, as it were, shares in both orders, both composed of spirit and body. And I just think that's an important thing to remember, is we are composed of both spirit and matter, right? That we're both corporeal and spiritual. And that can be part of the difficulty for us sometimes. We're embodied spirits. Like, you may want to run and run and run and keep going, keep going, but then all of a sudden it's like, I'm just so darn tired. Like, why am I being so grumpy with Michael Becker today? Like, what is my deal? It's like, oh, like, I didn't get a good night's sleep last night, and I haven't eaten since Tuesday, and so I'm just, you know, and so it's like we have to... I haven't to... eaten since Tuesday. I okay, I've eaten you. since... I stopped yeah. for lunch today. It was great. But like, <laughs> what I'm saying, like, it's, you've got to pay attention to the body, because we are corporal. We do have bodies. Our bodies are important, but we're also spiritual. And that is an important element that we have to keep in mind and look at ourselves. We're not angels. Um, and we're not going to become angels. Like, we, we are embodied spirits. We will forever be human. 
Um, but these bodies will die, our spirits live on, but we also believe in the resurrection of the body. So these are really important. And that's just a slight way of saying, so don't burn them up. You know, like take care of them. Um, they're important. That's why we show them honor at the funeral mass. That's why we do what we do in this, you know, special way is because this is a gift of God. And remember, Jesus Christ became incarnate, took on one of these just like we have. Father's been harping on that a lot. So yeah, it's, it's good to continue preaching. And, unfortunately, I hate to say it, every time a bell rings, an angel does not get its wings. Yeah. Just want to make sure we cleared that one and up And I do love well. that movie. It's, it's a, a great movie. movie. It's love a wonderful it life. It's lovely. But, yeah, there's spirits. But I, I also think that's really important, and thank you for backing me up a little no bit. Because I, I would have skipped it. Because we also see in the creation account, right, in the, the mm-hmm. six days of the creation and the seventh day God rested, that, you know, he doesn't necessarily mention angels. A lot of theologians will put it in the angels in on day one with the separation of the light and the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see, we do see very explicitly that man came last. So everything else came before man. So there was the spiritual creation, right? The invisible. And then we see all the days of the physical creation. And then we see man. So it is that completion of his creation of the combination of the two, mm-hmm. the, the corporal and the spiritual that is man. So we're going to talk about the invisible truths first, specifically the angels, which is really the only invisible truth that there, we've already talked about the Trinity, but the Trinity wasn't created, which is an invisible truth. Um, but the created invisible truth, really angels is all that we understand within the Catholic Church. Um, and then a lot more on the visible creation, because that's mm-hmm. what we know and work with every single day. So, 328, the existence of the spiritual, non-corporeal beings that sacred scripture usually calls angels is a truth of faith. I like that. I think that's really important. We believe angels exist. This is not something that we can, eh, maybe, maybe not. This is a truth of faith. faith. Through our faith and through the tradition of the church, it is true that angels exist. Now, we also know this through sacred scripture, right? We see angels in several different scenarios within sacred scripture. And so if we trust that sacred scripture is true, we, by result, trust that angels are true. Now, I know I'm kind of skipping around a little bit, but I think it's important to state that we only know the name of three angels, right? St. Michael, St. Raphael, and St. Gabriel. St. Michael comes in the book of Revelation, St. Gabriel at, in the, the Gospels, specifically at the Annunciation, and then St. Raphael in the book of Tobit. Tobit, which is a great book, by the way, it if you've never read Tobit. It's really short, but it's a really enjoyable read. It is. Those are the only three angels that we know of their names. Now, there... I feel like there's one other, but I don't remember if it's in Scripture or not. I don't remember why. There's not. There's not? No, okay, there's you already not. looked it up. No, no, it's okay. I, I have already looked it up. I was just thinking out loud, but okay. That's so there great. is one more angel. I think is it's St. Uriel? Uriel. That actually comes from Apocrypha okay. books. I was so, going to say, okay, because I couldn't remember where that fell. Yeah, it, it's not Catholic tradition, Catholic okay. teaching. So there's only three that we know the names of. Now, there are billions and billions and billions of angels, um, but we don't know any of the other names. So just wanted to clear, put that out there as we start. Um, so let's, go, let's read 329. We so. got to talk about what an angel is. Yes. We do. I'll go and read it. St. Augustine it. says, angel, in quotes, is the name of their office, not of their nature. If you seek the name of their nature, it is spirit. If you seek the name of their office, it is angel. From what they are, spirit. From what they do, angel. With their whole beings, the angels are servants and messengers of God. 
but they always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. They are the mighty ones who do his word, hearkening to the voice of his word. Um, so, yes, so they're spiritual beings, they're messengers. And, you know, I just thought of, um, normally in sacred scripture, when angels appear, people are afraid, right? Like you got Zachariah in the temple and Gabriel announcing the birth of John the Baptist. He's afraid. You know, and, and when he appears to Mary, he even, he even says, do not be afraid. Uh, when uh, the angels appear, when Jesus is born, you know, out on the plain, you have the glory to God in the highest. Um, they're terrified. I mean, the, the shepherds are blown away. The only time in sacred scripture that someone's not afraid when an angel appears. Do you know when? I feel like I've heard this before. I'm trying. I think I mentioned it because it was recently, because her feast day was recently. St. Mary Magdalene. At, wow. the, at the tomb, yeah. yes. after the resurrection, when the angels are there and say, whom do you seek? And she's like, where did you put him? Where is he? Like, she's so focused on Jesus that she's not afraid of the angels. It's, it's just one of those things where I thought, wow, that's really fascinating. And it's like, at that point, Jesus is risen from the dead. But normally, I mean, angels incite, like, I mean, just their presence is overwhelming to people. It incites fear. Um, and yet, I love it, you know, usually it's do not be afraid, you know, because they're there to announce, they're messengers on behalf of God to announce something that is, you know, going to happen. Yes. And they are spirit, purely spiritual creatures, mm-hmm. kind of as, as we already talked about. They have an intellect and a will, right? They are personal and immortal creatures, surpassing in perfection of all visible creatures, and as the splendor of their glory bears witness. So there, there's a lot there. So they are, they are persons with this intellect and will. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have a, a free will, but angelic wills are perfected wills. So when, they were, uh, when the angels were created, they were given a choice whether to follow God and his divine providence and his divine will or not to follow God. But because they are perfected wills, they make a full intellectual choice. So it's not like us where we make a mistake and go, whoops, I made a mistake, or yeah, I guess I shouldn't have done that, or yeah, that, that was my bad. Angels don't do that when they make a choice. It, because they have this perfected intellect and will, they make a choice for all eternity. And like they know what's going to happen. They know their consequences. They would do it again. This is not a tug and pull like in our lives. So when we look at the angels and demons who are fallen angels, um, they're not, they can't change their, that, that kind of choice that they made. Demons can't reinstate themselves as angels. Angels can't later on fall. They, are, they have made their choice, and that is a perfected choice. And that's the thing with us, you know, kind of like going back to that, in, that we are in journey. Um, still, like we're journeying towards something. Now, obviously, like let's say you've been journeying away from Christ for a long time. There is the possibility of repenting and coming back. But as you solidify yourself more and more, like getting deeper and deeper, let's say, into mortal sin, and like you're, you know, creating this environment more and more of like staying away from God and closing in on yourself, can Christ penetrate that and, and get, yes, of course, and he can give you every opportunity for salvation. Still, you are making a choice and more and more moving away, um, you know, whereas with the angels, it's like a, you know, one and done, you know, like they, they made that decision and it's solidified from then on out. Um, and so that's kind of like the difference a little bit between human beings in time. You know, and angels, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, they're outside of time, too. It's like, you know, that decision is made and it's done forever. They're outside of time. 
They don't know all future events, though. Sure. So they are they are limited to knowing all of past and all present. So God reveals to them all knowledge simultaneously of past and present, but they do not know the future. But because of their perfected intellect and will, they can, they can make a very good guess of what is coming in the future, so much so that they can even understand our thoughts and understand our memories and our bodily and physical reactions that we may not understand, so they can make a pretty good guess about what is to come. Sure. Um, so real quick, we're at 3.30, and we've got uh, 20, 20 more to go. We're just going to keep going until we're done. We're just going to keep going. That's what I thought. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure that we had it on record. <laughs> so 3.31, Christ is the center of the angelic world. They are his angels. I think that is awesome. I do too. Um, they belong to him because they were created through and for him. And then a little bit lower down, they belong to him still more because he was made he has made them messengers of his saving plan. So they're all about this divine providence. And when you look in scripture, every time the angels pop up, they're always kind of pointing forward to this plan. They're saying, you know, leading people towards God. They're leading people through this journey properly. They're leading people in this salvific message in whatever state in time that is. Um, so as you read scripture, right, pick out when you see those angels. Oh, yeah. See what their purpose was. See what they're trying to do. See what they're pointing people towards. And they're, again, always pointing towards Jesus. Whether it was way in the Old Testament leading people to that, that salvation, saying, you know, this uh, Messiah will come, or in the New Testament. And I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but paragraph 333 talks about all the different times that they show up during the life of Christ. And I would just also point out, because I don't know if it says here too, if you think about some of his parables too, when they, when they ask, you know, like, well, explain to us the parable of, you know, the weeds and the wheat. Like, he'll say, like, you know, and then the angels will come, and they'll take, you know, this and that. Like, he, he makes reference to the angels in the end of time um, many times, like, in his parables. So, I mean, like, our Lord refers to the angels quite a lot. And, yeah, it says here at the end of paragraph 333, they will be present at Christ's return, which they will announce to serve at his judgment. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, they're very much a part of things with our Lord. And we are still benefiting from them within the life of the church, immediately speaking. So not only are the angels giving glory to God at all points and they're participating in this praise, and actually there are some angels specifically created to give praise and honor and glory to God. That is their job and their mission and purpose. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have angels that are much more helping us here and now. So um, in 335, it mentions the particular angels that I mentioned, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, the only angels that we have names for. But then it also mentions guardian angels. So every person, it's argued whether it's at the moment of conception or baptism. I'm more in the line of at the moment of conception. Um, every person is given a, a guardian angel that, if I understand correctly, was created for that specific purpose of that person's guardian angel for that time when they should be born. Mm -hmm. So your guardian angel was created for you and only you, and they have been waiting since the moment of their existence for you to be born to fulfill their mission to be your guardian angel. So if you read 336, it's like the specific paragraph on guardian angels. Um, so from its beginning until death, which I would say that's, that's a good argument for your conception. I, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. From its beginning until death, human life is surrounded by their watchful care and intercession. Beside each believer stands an angel as protector and shepherd, leading him to life. And that's a quote from St. Basil. Already here on earth, the Christian life shares by faith in the blessed company of angels and men united in God. 
And I would just say, you know, it's one of those things where I think guardian angels are one of those areas that I don't think has always been served well by popular art, where they just look like kind of like, oh, it's sweet, and there's a child about to cross like a roaring stream, and it's kind of like... You know, I, I know mean, the image well. Yeah, I mean, and it, okay, it's fine, but at the same time, I would just highly recommend be more practical about your guardian angel. Ask, ask the guardian angel for help every single day. And I will tell you my practice now is I've begun praying my guardian angel prayer every time I get in the car. Now, yes, do I want safety and protection in my car? Of course. But I want so much more than that, and as a priest, I'm in and out of my car all the time. So it's just a good reminder throughout the day, like, hey, I've got this heavenly aid. Um, another piece of advice I got from a wonderful talk in Fatima from Sister Concilia of the Daughters of Earth and the uh, Order of the Holy Cross, lovely religious order in Portugal. But she talked about the fact that, you know, before, like, before your day, ask your guardian angel, like, hey, protect my eyes from things that are going to lead me into lust. You know, protect me from any kind of conversations that are going to lead me into gossip. Before going into any meeting, Say a prayer to your guardian angel and to the person's guardian angel who you're going to be meeting with, especially if it's going to be a particularly difficult meeting. And, you know, it helps in a huge way. I feel like I've had, like, a major change of life since first going to Fatima. And honestly, a big part of that, I think, was picking up the devotion of being more devoted to my guardian angel. Like, that's just, it's that recognition, once again, of, you know, the corporeal and the spiritual, that we are embodied spirits and that we have spiritual help in everything that we do, and as Michael pointed out so well, I mean, the angels are a truth of the faith. We have been given this. The church tells us this. So it's like, you know, if you're walking around and you're like living in poverty, but you've got like a million bucks in your bank account, but you just refuse to touch it, that's stupid, right? Like, okay, same thing here. You have spiritual help all the time, which quite frankly, at the end of the day, is a lot more valuable than a million bucks because it will help you towards eternity. So turn to your guardian angel. Um, can I just go ahead and say the prayer? Because it only takes a moment. I was waiting for you to do it. Excellent. So it's angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here. Ever this day be at my side to light, to guard, to rule, and to guide. Take me by the hand. I promise docile obedience to your guidance that you may lead me to eternal happiness. And I love that because, say, docility means like you're willing to be taught, right? So take me by the hand. I promise docile obedience to your guidance. Like, help me to know, like, when I need to say a kind word to this person I'm passing. Because sometimes, like, you know, I, I love talking to our parishioners and people here, but, like, if I'm not at the store, I don't know, I can be a little bit more reserved. Like, I'm not necessarily going to be like, you know, this person looks a little down, but, you know, what, I'm just going to mind my own business. But if I feel this, you know, like, I'm feeling compelled to say, like, hey, how you doing? You know, just to say it, um... It's probably coming from somewhere, you know? And so it's like to have that div that heavenly assistance, that spiritual assistance, it's there on offer for all of us. And once again, going back to co-workers, co-operators with God, we get to play in his plan. You know, okay, like if I go to Food Lion and I pass that person, you know, like their salvation is not like, you know, oh, depends on that kind word from me. But at the same time, like I might get to play a part in helping them in some way, you know, like just to say that kind word may be that little thing that just sort of turns the day around a little bit, that might help kind of keep them from despair, that might help them to do something else. Like we're, we're part of this huge mosaic of life, and we get to cooperate in that, and our guardian angels have this awesome perspective to help us along, and what are they leading us towards? Perfection, eternal happiness, being face-to-face -face with God. 
They see our Heavenly Father face to face. They want us to be there with them. And so, like, they know sometimes, like, that's going to involve some purification. Like, okay, I know you don't want to have this conflict with this person right now, but you need to have it because avoiding it is making your life worse. And so dealing with this issue is going to help so much. And I know you don't want to do it, but here, here, I'll help you with some courage, you know. And so asking your guardian angel for help with that, all of a sudden you go through the difficult conflict-filled moment and things are so much better in the end, you know. And so you just keep asking for that heavenly aid and for the grace to be docilely obedient and to follow. And it's, it's incredible what can happen. And I've been using that suggestion to pray to the other person's guardian angel during a meeting or right before a meeting. And it has done it's wonders. Incredible, it's isn't it? absolutely amazing. And but you could use that in so many other places in your life, mm-hmm. right? My son isn't misbehaving in church. Hey, guardian angel, help me out here. My guardian angel and his guardian angel. Let's try to crowd this kid and make him pay attention a little bit better. You know, your kids are off at college or off at school. Pray to their guardian angels that they will assist them in their times of need, especially in you know, when they're away from you in different situations. Yeah. It's a great, great tool and a great treasure, as Father said, that we have, that we need to utilize. And I also, I love that second part of the prayer, because I never, most people, no. I don't, where did the second part of the prayer even come from? I learned it from that sister from Portugal. So I have a holy card with it on there. In fact, I think my mom had a bunch of them made up when we gave them out in the school here, I, and my I, niece and nephew's school, too. I never got one. I need I'll have to get you one. You know what we need to do? Let's just print some more. We should. We did the Memorare card. Let's just awesome. let's just make a new guardian angel card. We will. That's, it's it's such a good prayer. That's a job for next week. Or when like I come I said, back from baby leave. There you go. I highly recommend pray it when you get in the car, and just get used to it because you know you get in and out of your car. It's okay if you're homebound. Like do it when you go in and out of the kitchen. You know, like like do it with something that is sort of like a practical daily occurrence because you remember practically and daily. I've got help. I have this guardian angel who is going to help me all the time. Keep asking for his help. And I am super excited to get to heaven one day and like party with my guardian yeah, I know. angel. I think, you know? I think the same thing. I mean, it's, it's such a good like we, we, he's The guardian angel is there helping us, guiding our thoughts. We're participating. He's participating on this journey with us. Isn't it going to be awesome to like oh, it's high, so cool. high five your guardian angel in reality and just celebrate all those moments that they were there guiding you and leading you, and you maybe didn't even realize it. Like, oh, yeah, that was that time, and you did this thing, and it'll be amazing. The thing I like to think of, and sort of like going back to, I forget which paragraph, it was 309 or 312, about the, you know, moral evil is infinitely worse than physical evil, right? So it's not so much like I'm in the car and just please protect me from a car accident. Okay, important. It's physical evil. You get in a car accident or something. But the moral evil, like I'm, I, I, I like to think, like, what did you help keep me from doing mm-hmm. that would have led me down the wrong path? You know, like, I mean, okay, I'm a priest now. I went to pretty normal college. I lived a pretty normal college life. In what way did you help me from not going down the wrong path? You know, And just to think about little things that happen. And, and obviously, we've got to cooperate. And that's why I pray for, you know, um, you know there may be docile obedience to your guidance. You know, And because we can be obstinate. We can tell them no. But to be docilely obedient and like to make the right decision and just to think about like how close it came to not making the right decision um because I'm, I'm just so grateful to be where i am now and i know how easy it would have been to let you know like the gift of the faith get blown out by different you know uh doubting questioning wins you know or, or to make a bad moral decision and go in the wrong way and just um 
Yeah, and it would even be brought back from times when I had kind of gone away. And just it's just an incredible thought, and thank God that we have this this assistance. Yeah, and not only you know avoiding from making the bad decisions, but encouraging us to make the good decisions, exactly. right? Because I imagine it would flip that a good moral decision is infinitely better than yeah. a, a good physical thing. That is a really good way. So to it. with if the angels are able to help us give follower that nudge in the grocery store to say that nice thing. That's not avoiding an evil. That's actually promoting the virtue and promoting the good. And what could that good have done to spiral the other way and to lift this person up? And so all those times, you know, that we're going to be able to enjoy that moment with our angels in heaven and talk about all those victories and triumphs that they were able to lead us into. You know what I really love is that before we made the comment about every time a bell rings, angel gets swinged, that that's not true. And yet, it's like we've sort of taken the it's a wonderful life motif and made it even better and real mm -hmm. in our own lives because it's so true. Like all of us are going through this and we all get this awesome part to play and we all have this, you know, this guidance, this spiritual guidance, you know, from the spiritually created order to help us along the way. And once again, it's like you go back to the, you know, kind of corny art of, you know, the kid in front of like a raging stream. Okay, but you know, it's like it's it's the moral aspect. It's like, okay. You know, there you are. You have the opportunity to do so much good, even if it's just the basics of being kind to someone. Um, but that encouragement to do that and all the good that flows from it, as opposed to just, hey, you made it over a raging stream. You know, like, okay, it's good, but there's better than that. So, yeah, that's awesome. You didn't drown. You didn't drown. Good job, but now you got to, you know. Not drown morally. Lose your, use your legs and your lungs and everything else. Okay, cool. All right, so that was the invisible. Now we're moving into the visible. We're going to be talking about the visible for a lot longer, we well past today. But, and, mo and kind of obviously, when we talk about the visible, we're really talking about, you know, the creation that we read in the first chapter of Genesis, right? Mm -hmm. We all know the story of the six days of creation, and then the seventh day God rested. And so, but what we, underneath, what we need to understand first is that we're not taking a creationism account. The Catholic Church does not say, it was seven physical days. It was done exactly like this. That's, we're open to that possibility, right? But the Catholic Church doesn't come down on that, and we know, we'll never come down on that in a scientific standpoint. That's for the, the scientists to figure out. Yeah, and especially the way that like, the word days is used. It doesn't mean seven 24-hour periods. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a poetic way of describing the creation. I mean, we do believe in creation insofar as God created um, created the heavens and the earth, but like to spell out the exact scientific process of how that happened, um, it's not, I mean, we don't go to the book of Genesis for that exact answer. I, I think yeah, because that, yeah. that would be the creationism extreme where yeah. it's, no, 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 the Bible is literally what happened. No, the Catholic Church does not take that standpoint. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we can look at day in a, in a poetic sort of a way. Yeah, and what day was the sun created? Mm -hmm. The fourth day. How do you measure a day without the sun? Aha, uh -huh, gotcha. Um, and, as a, a fun little reminder, a Catholic priest is the one that came up with the Big Bang Theory. So, not creationism. Yeah. But there are things that we do need to take from the creation account. On the subject of creation, the sacred text teaches the truths revealed by God for our salvation, permitting us to recognize, to recognize the inner nature the value in the ordering of the whole creation to the praise of God. So while we don't take a literal creationist understanding from Genesis, there are truths that we do take 
from Genesis, they are incredibly important for us to recognize how this um, visible world was created. Yeah, and that, that word ordering is so important. I mean, philosophically speaking, it's like we need you know, those opening chapters of Genesis. Those first three chapters are so incredibly important for understanding the, like, you know, why are we here? What is this order to? What is the point of this? Is this all just some chaotic dance of death that doesn't mean anything? No. I mean, you look at those seven days and what it's ordered to, and as Michael said before, you know, who comes at the end in the created order? It's man, creating the image, image and likeness of God, male and female, he created them. And then what does it work towards? Eternal rest with him on the seventh day. I mean, the Sabbath is a really important thing that we work towards in the glory and the worship of God um, that we work towards. I know the Catechism quotes St. Benedict at 1.2, just in reference to that. Oh, that's a little bit later on. I'm sorry. Yeah, jumping ahead just ahead. Yeah, I did. But like in getting towards the Sabbath. But like that, that ordering is so crucial. So even if you know, it doesn't give like a scientific blow-by-blow blow of when this happened and when this happened, it's okay. That's not what it's describing. Just like to give the, you know, history of my family, it's not a scientific blow by blow of when, you know, each one of us, you know, was was created in the womb and like how that scientifically developed and came about, but like the love that exists between my ancestors and how that grew and how it grows to this point. I mean, it's there's there's deeper realities. That, yes, there's a scientific reality too. But that's not the way that it's recorded in sacred scripture. And so from 3.38 to 3.49, we actually, each paragraph almost gives us kind of a truth that we need mm -hmm. to take out of Genesis. And we can, we'll go through each of these. So in 3.38, nothing exists that does not owe its existence to God, the creator. So first truth that we do take out of Genesis is that it was all created by God. There was nothing. And then out of that nothing came something and started the entire process of the invisible and in, in, visible worlds. Um, and so that, there was this beginning that all came from the creator and nothing did not come from him. The double negative in there. That was a good one. You did a nice job. And I remember last time we talked about briefly in uh, The Magician's Nephew, which is one of the seven books of the Chronicles of Narnia, where Aslan sings creation into existence, or sings Narnia into existence. I love that image. You know, it's like you think about God singing you know, uh, all of this into existence. Even if it's a big bang, you know, it's like to like just setting it all in motion mm -hmm. and just the, you know, the order out of which it comes. It'd be interesting to hear like Flora's take on that just with her musical mind because my mind is, I mean, I love music, but I don't know the, I can't read music. Um, but to like to think about that and how it, how it, you know, everything coming into existence out of nothing, you know, being loved into it by God. It's, it's just awesome. Yeah, that always that question, what Big Bang, the Big Bang? That single note from God's yeah, yeah. universal song in some ways exactly. to start that whole thing. That was, that was quite a big note right yes, there. Yes, indeed. It was like a, a really happy day whistle, you know? Like mm -hmm. when you're just so happy, you start whistling. It's like, and here we are. <laughs> oh, look at that. <laughs> so 339, next truth. Each creature, each creature possesses its own particular goodness and perfection. So... What this is saying is that after God, each day when God created things, he said, and God saw it was good. So every day, every creation that he made, it was good. There was a perfection within the creation narrative that God made. And so we need to remember 
that there is not something out there that isn't good, that created things are good, material things are good. And we need to not forget that or we'll fall into a, what's that, uh, not Gnosticism, um, but yeah. when you're tearing down the material yeah. world, Gnosticism. is it Gnosticism? Yeah, it's like the soul is trying to escape the prison of the body. Gnosticism, yeah. I was right. You were right, good job. And so we have to understand that there is that goodness within our bodies and within all the created world. Mm -hmm. And then it also shows, and I'm going to skip a little bit to 341, is that they're all created in this beautiful unity and harmony together, that all these laws of nature and everything that God created is moving in one unitive fashion forwards in, in this uh, beauty of the universe. Mm -hmm. And actually, the one you skipped about the interdependence of creatures... Uh, creatures I wanted to give you that one. because I, I know, like I do that. like, yeah, creatures exist, the concluding line, creatures exist only in dependence on each other to complete each other in the service of each other. And I couldn't help myself, but in the margins I just wrote, mosquitoes, question mark? Because obviously there are some things that, you know, I mean, from our perspective, it's like, why is this, you know? But once again, it's like, you know, like stories where, okay, we're getting tired of, you know, all of the coyotes, we kill them all off. And then all of a sudden, it's like the deer population gets huge, and they start, you know, taking over things and eating things. It's like there is a harmony to the created order and this interdependence of things. Now, do we understand it from our particular perspective? Not always. Like I said, I don't really understand why there's mosquitoes this time of year, especially. It's just like, you know, you want to sit on the back patio, and my goodness, they just keep like eating up my ankles, and it drives me nuts. Um, but nevertheless, I'm sure there's some particular reason for mosquitoes. You know, God knows, but it's like this interdependence of creation. If you remove something, you know, it has big consequences. And so, like, we have to respect creation. And I like a lot of uh, science YouTube videos that I watch. And uh, I was watching one the other day about keystone creatures and how certain uh, creatures within ecosystems are like the keystone creature. If you take those out to a large extent, like the whole system breaks down. Wow. And unfortunately, the bison was, we think the bison was wow. one of those keystone creatures that we have absolutely destroyed. That's why it's so important to start bringing them back. Wow. But wolves, there was also another YouTube video I saw about wolves and how they reintroduced wolves in, I think, Yellowstone. And how through the reintroduction of wolves in Yellowstone, it literally changed the course of rivers. Like because of the wolves and that they're eating this type of mammal and those mammals were eating the weeds and the grass that live on this riverbank or something wow. like that. It literally like restored rivers and courses of rivers by reintroducing this creature. So it does exist, yeah. but we'll never understand no. ultimately how it does exist. But that's another awesome scientific conversation to have. And the thing here too, so down to 342, because I could see sort of like the then response to the thing about the wolves and like, well, how did the wolves disappear? Well, man overhunted them. Okay, 342, hierarchy of creatures. Hierarchy of creatures is expressed by the order of the six days, from the less perfect to the more perfect. God loves all his creatures and takes care of each one, even the sparrow. Nevertheless, Jesus said, you are of more value than many sparrows, or again, of how much more value is a man than a sheep. Now, here's the thing. Like, okay, yeah, I mean, Yellowstone, the wolves, like, being gone in the first place. Yeah, we probably, like, killed them off or something, right? Or, like, same thing with the bison, we overhunted them. Does that mean that man is a plague on the face of the earth? No. Like when you look at the hierarchy of creatures, we're creating the image like us of God. He sets us at the head of all. We're supposed to subdue creation. But that doesn't mean 
that it's like, well, do whatever you want with it. You know, it's like, oh, my friends are letting me borrow their house for the weekend. It's so nice. You get to go stay in the mountains. So I do whatever the heck I want with it. I'll take down a wall and burn down this part of the house. And it's like, no, like it was kind of them to let me use it. I'm supposed to take care of it. And God has given this to us. We need to take care of it and not overdo it with some things. Like, okay, yeah, a wolf is like stalking your family. Yeah, you should kill that wolf. You know, like it's okay. But does that mean that you should wipe out all wolves? No. Like usually the pendulum swing response is not the way to go. Like we're not, like humanity is not a plague on the face of the earth. That's thing. I love nature shows so much. Like Planet Earth mm. that came out with David Attenborough. That was, so my sister got that for me as a gift, like the DVDs when I was ordained a deacon. It was awesome. Such a good gift. I love watching it, especially when I'm falling That's asleep. always what I watch at late nights when I yeah, have a new kid. So I'm kind of excited because I'm going to have my you. new baby. I'm going to be able to pull up Planet Earth again oh. because it's just a calming thing to watch while you're trying to rock a baby to sleep. The only thing I don't like about a lot of those shows is it's always like, and man, is terrible. You know, it's like, okay. Yeah, the last episode of the series. I it's agree. Like, okay. I get it, like we shouldn't do things that are terrible to the environment, absolutely. But does that mean that we shouldn't even be here? No, it doesn't. And so it's like, I don't understand the like, okay, yes, we gotta love and respect nature, absolutely. But how can you say that and then at the same time be like, an abortion is okay? Absolutely not. You know, it's like all of, the, all of it fits together. You look at the hierarchy of creatures. God is so good in creating all of this in its particular order. And man is good, you know, like, he has given us, you know, he's created us in his own image and likeness. He's made us to love and to subdue and take care of things. And so it all fits together. And once again, does that mean that we shouldn't pollute? Yeah, like we should be responsible with the way that we treat things. Um, but at the same time, we need to love and respect the dignity of every single human creature. And you actually kind of tied in the next couple truths as well. So 343, man is the summit of God's mm-hmm. work. So talking about how we have this dominion and that we are kind of the perfection of creation, the final thing that he did create. But then in 344, that there is a solidarity among all creatures arising from the fact that all have the same creator and that all are ordered towards his glory. Mm -hmm. So all the creatures and all creation is working together. True, we're put at the top. But that doesn't mean we're not working with all creation. That means that we're, again in this amazing orchestra and song of this creation that is continuing that God has created. And we are just playing a larger part in it than some others. And yeah, that's our particular part to play. And just because like, yeah, that there is a top or that there is a direction or a director, that's not a bad thing. You know, it's like basically I think the implicit sort of distrust of order or hierarchy it goes back to the third chapter of Genesis when the serpent, you know, tricks Eve into thinking that God the Father is somehow evil, you know, and putting them in the garden and, oh, it's restricting all of their, their freedom. No, he's not. Like, we need, you know, a particular order and way of going about things and direction. And we have a part to play in all of this. And, you know, and you can see it, like, in the symphony example is a great one. If there's no conductor and everybody's just doing their own thing, it sounds terrible. But if there is a director and there is a melody and we're all playing our particular part, we add into that symphony and it is a glorious thing. But there has to be direction and guidance and a hierarchy of creatures. You know, the sum of the solidarity, all of these things fitting in together in the right way. And really, if you go back to it before, that moral evil, why is that so bad? Because it strikes at, you know, against that solidarity. It strikes against 
the harmony that's supposed to be there, the you know, absolute ecstatic love that takes place when we're all going about it in the right way. That is absolutely not boring. It's when, it, when the order is taken away and it all falls apart and it's all chaos. That's when it gets boring. Um, but when we act in the solidarity together, it's like this great divine symphony being sung into me. You know? Yeah, and does Hume, did mankind play some wrong notes during history? Sure. Yes, absolutely. Does that mean we can't go back and play the right notes afterwards? Absolutely not. We no. can play the right notes, but that doesn't mean you remove the trumpet section from the, the orchestra. Exactly. You just got to tune in a little bit better. And the wrong notes, like God can refix it so the wrong note eventually sounds like it was the right thing. Like, once again, it's not saying that evil is good, but he can take the greatest of evils, the killing of God himself on the cross, and turn it into the greatest good that ever was, like his redemptive death for our sake. So it's like God can bring good out of that evil. Um, we just have to keep trusting in his providence. Fantastic. Sweet. And usually if you play a wrong note, actually a fun little music thing, if you go like a half step up, so if you play like a B, then you play a, uh, a C instead, like it actually sounds better. That's funny. You get to like the thirds and harmonies and stuff like that. So anyways. No, I love that. Um, so then, the la then we've kind of got two more truths that it's outlining. So it's outlining the Sabbath, mm -hmm. the end of the work of the six days. So God rested on the seventh day, which is very important because since he gave us dominion, we could be kind of these like slave masters where we are always working. We're always working on this creation. We are always um, having this dominion. But if we did, but God gave us this day of rest. So he's saying, okay, you're not just slave masters. You're not just running this whole show. You're not the conductor that doesn't get a break. I'm taking a day of rest. Not that God needs it. God doesn't need to rest. We need to rest in, mm -hmm. by him kind of proverbially resting because he doesn't need to rest. He did give us a day to actually rest because we need it because we are bodies. And, and to glory and meditate and reflect and to be with him. And the thing is, it's not, a, it's not boring. Like it's, it's growing in love. It's learning how to worship him. This is where St. Benedict gets quoted mm -hmm. here. It's in paragraph 347 about... As the rule of St. Benedict says, nothing should take precedence over the work of God, that is, solemn worship. This indicates the right order of human concerns. So it's like to get to the point where you get to reflect on and glory in God himself. You know, it brings order to everything else. And so it makes it so our day-to-day -day life, our entering into the work of God, of being cooperators, that it doesn't become drudgery, that we remember why we're doing what we're doing. For his greater glory and the salvation of souls. You know, and so it's like someone who works all the time and so focused on the money all the time that they forget why they're working. You know, it's like working to support a family. So it's like working seven days a week, you know, all the time, da 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 da. But never actually taking the time to unplug and enjoy your family, that's a problem. I mean, you need to sit back and love God and love your neighbor, namely the people that are right there with you. And you know, just to rejoice in the beauty of them, you know, and, and I mean that in like the beauty in like a totality sort of a way, not just the way that they look, but just like the beauty of the love of the whole family and loving the people that you're there with and why you're doing what you're doing. And so you remember why you do what you do during the work week and to do it out of love. And then that can keep this going as opposed to making life just a drudgery, you know, especially after the fall. And then it talks about the eighth day. And you're thinking, wait, there's not eight days in the week. <laughs> but this eighth day is not about the eighth day of the week or God's creation. It's about the continuation of the narrative, essentially. The narrative is not over. We are not done at this point. 
There is, right, the second coming of Christ, the end of time, the, the new heaven and the new earth, saying that at some point we will have a new creation where there is no more suffering, this, this uh, redemptive nature where we can all meet our guardian angels and party in heaven. Um, and we, our bodies are reunited with our souls because even when we die, right, we're taking our fallen but still a whole state, right? Because we have our body and soul here on earth. When we die, maybe our soul is in a perfected state in heaven, but it's still missing our body. And that's not the end of the story, right? Because we aren't angels. We are not just mm -hmm. pure spiritual beings. We do have a corporeal body. So we do need that back to be in that completed state. So in this eighth day, when the creation in heaven meet, and then there is no invisible, invisible, there everything is visible together. together, then there will be that perfection of creation as it really was meant to be. And since you brought up C.S. Lewis, I think C.S. Lewis's final book, The Last Battle, is by far my favorite C.S. Lewis book. Um, and just his depiction of heaven just brings me chills, like thinking about it. It was just so beautiful at the end of that book. But talking about that eighth day and how beautiful and glorious that will be to have that connection of the visible and invisible together in that new heaven and new earth. And you think about the fascinating elements of that that we've already seen and begin to experience. A, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that's why we talk about the eighth day. You know, that's why we celebrate on Sunday. You know, it's like it's the first day of the week. Um, you, it's like you look at, you know, the Jewish Sabbath that's on Saturday. The eighth day, the new day, the day of the resurrection. You know, Jesus is risen from the dead. Body and soul. Like, you know, he... His body is in heaven. Those wounds are there right now. We also have a foretaste of all this in what we just celebrated eight days ago, right? Eight or nine days ago, on the assumption of the Blessed Mother into heaven. So she is there, body and soul in heaven. Her body is there with her. That you know, Jesus. You know, and, and I I heard this recently. Um, a priest said this on that priest retreat I was on. He said, you know, is it possible to love Mary too much? And he said, yes if you love her more than Jesus does. And I loved that because he said, you know, think about that. You know, the prevenient grace of the immaculate conception, she's kept free from sin. You know, the assumption, she's body and soul in heaven, that she's the queen of heaven and earth, that all these things he's done for her. You really can't do more for her than Jesus himself has done. And she's there, body and soul. And when you think about both Jesus after the resurrection and our blessed mother after the assumption, think about the times that Jesus is with the apostles after the resurrection, and they don't recognize him at first. So it's like this glorified body that's risen from that, that is the same body. The wounds are there, but they don't recognize him at first. Or Mary, assumed into heaven, body and soul. There have been so many apparitions. This past Saturday was the uh, feast day of Our Lady of Knock when she appeared in Ireland. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Our Lady of Fatima. You've got Our Lady of Guadalupe. You know, if you go to the uh, Basilica of the Shrine of our Blessed Mother, the Immaculate Conception in D.C., there's all those side chapels of all these different times that Mary's appeared. And she looks different every time, but it's the same Blessed Mother. But when she appears, it's like she, she takes on, you know, the local culture, the diversity within the Catholic Church. And it's like, so to think about that and like this opening up into heaven and this fullness of body and soul and glorified in the new creation... You know, and right now, all of creation is, is calling out in labor pains, as St. Paul says. And yet we're moving towards this fulfillment, this perfection that is greater than we can imagine, and yet we already have foretastes in the resurrection, in the assumption. And one other thing that I think is 
unique to Catholicism. I don't know of anywhere else in the world where you find this in any other religion, but think about the incorruptibles that we have. Mm-hmm. Saints who have died whose bodies are incorrupt. You know, it's like it looks like they're lying there asleep. You know, I think St. Therese of Lisieux is one. Is it Pope St. Pius X one? Um, I don't know about that. I know Padre Pio is. Padre Pio. I think St. Bernadette? She might be one. Yeah, like, where it's, I mean, I don't know if there's, like, Hindu people that, like, didn't go corrupt or something. It's just the fact that it's almost like God is like, just remember, you know, like, look at this. Like, I mean, this particular person was so good and pure. You know, it's like he's not allowing corruption to happen. There's no scientific reason. And I'm pretty sure Pope Pius X is one of them. Because I remember, like, I think he's he's there at St. Peter's, and it's like there's just the glass. But it's not, like, hermetically sealed. I mean, there's air going in and out, but he's just lying there. They've got, like, a wax mask on his face. But he died in 1914. I mean, yeah, because some people can be, like, partially incorrupt. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of times you will see that yeah. wax mask and say, oh, look it, mm-hmm. that's him. Sometimes it's, it's covered, but like the rest of his body is actually still there. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's, but like, I'm, I always think Padre Pio because sure. there's nothing. I mean, you're just, you're just looking at him like he's just, just wow. laying there. I mean, it's just the fact that that happens sometimes, that there's no scientific reason for that. That, you know, like God doesn't violate the laws of science, but sometimes he, you know, goes above and beyond. It's like, hey, corruption's not going to touch this one. You know, it's just, it's incredible to think that how that happens. And so, you know, when we look at this, you know, the, the rest in God in the Sabbath day, the, the eighth day, looking ahead, um, you know, to the resurrection, to the assumption of our Blessed Mother, there is so much that's around us and, you know, all of this glory and the spiritual and the corporeal. And so it's like, hey, don't give up. Don't ever despair or become despondent because we have so much we're already participating in, all that we've already started to see and all that we get to be in today. And with that, we are 30 minutes over. But isn't that nice that we get to pre-record and we can go as long as we want? It's true. I'm pretty happy about it. And, you know, the nice thing is people can break this up into sections if they want. It's kind of nice. Exactly. Like this, eventually it's going to be outside of time. And they can, they can go about it however they want. They can take it in a minute a day if they want. You can do it whatever you want. <laughs> it's out there. It's on Facebook. And we'll be on Vimeo as well. And you can just watch it at your leisure. So, it's so good. And eventually on SoundCloud. I'm a little bit behind on your homilies, by the way. But... I'll get caught back up eventually. Yeah, we'll get, back we'll up get there. there. If people really want to hear them, which they probably don't, they could go to Facebook. Yep. And, you know, watch it there. It's oh, okay. yeah, we are in the digital age. You we can, are. There's so many different I could go back and listen to you talk three years ago. Isn't That's that crazy. crazy to think about? It is crazy. I don't really recommend it. <laughs> Some people may enjoy it. Yeah, probably my mom. <laughs> <laughs> A lot. Well, cool. Well, um, please join me in keeping Michael and the whole Becker family in your prayers as they prepare to uh, you know, welcome their new son as he is born. And uh, you know, for all of our parishioners here, and I'll tell you what, today, why don't we close with the Memorare? That's, so we handed out prayer cards here at Sacred Heart, the Memorare, which is a beautiful prayer, in particular right now for the intention of us uh, you know, finishing off this debt campaign, getting this beautiful campus, and all that comes with it all paid for. Um, and then, hey, who knows what the next very special intentions may be. But regardless of what they are, what the new things are that come to us in this journey, we know that uh, we never go un- unaided because we have the help, of course, of our blessed Lord and of his blessed mother. So, when we close. Perfect. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
Remember, most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. Saint Rose of Lima. Pray for us. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.